get into the message today, and we're going to gear this on. You know, I talked to some different moms over the last couple weeks as we've been into heaven, and they've asked me different questions. So what I decided to do today is I'm going to do my best to answer some of the questions that have been asked to me about different moms, about the new earth, about heaven, about our future home. Last week, we talked about the layover, the, the intermediate place, the, the present heaven where, where our loved ones are that have passed away are now with Christ and that kind of intermediate, that present state. But today we're going to get into the new earth, the future heaven where we're going to live for all of eternity when heaven and earth are fused together on the new earth in this beautiful state, the majesty, the, the just the incredibleness of it all. And as I began to think about this series on heaven, I've always wondered, why is Satan fighting so hard to convince us that heaven is boring? I mean, how many of you before this series began, or even, you know, today, if it's your first time, how many of you have always believed that heaven is everything is white, and you're a disembodied spirit, and you're floating along clouds, and you're singing, holy, 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 for all eternity? How many of you ever had that perception of heaven, that it's pretty boring, that I'm not, you know, I I don't want to go to the other place, but I'm not looking forward to getting to heaven anytime soon? And there's a lot of believers that have a completely misinformed view of what heaven is like, and a lot of people who just assume that it's going to be boring, that it's going to be eternity just dredging along, singing the same chorus over and over and over, and it doesn't sound exciting at all. And the only reason I believe Satan is fighting so hard to convince us that heaven is boring is because if he he can make you think that heaven is boring, then he can make you think you've got to experience everything life has to offer before you die. And he can lead you in all sorts of sins. Now, yes, experience the good things, the things that are of God. But I mean, no, there's a lot of experiences in life that we as believers don't need to be getting ourselves into because they cause pain, they cause destruction, they cause heartache. And if you believe heaven is boring, it's so much easier for Satan to tempt you into experiencing the quote unquote wild side of life because you have nothing to look forward to in the afterlife. So we might as well live it up here. Because when we're gone, it's all boring from there. But the reality is the Bible says so much about heaven and how incredible it is. And that's God's plan, is to restore the earth. I mean, the word Emmanuel, one of God's names, is not us with God. It is God with us. So God's original plan is to come down and be with us. Theologian Anthony Hakema writes, The new Jerusalem does not remain in heaven, in a far-off place and space, but it comes down to be the renewed earth. There the redeemed will spend eternity in resurrected bodies. So heaven and earth now separated will then be merged. The new earth will also be in heaven since God will dwell there with his people. Glorified believers, in other words, will continue to be in heaven while they are inhabiting the new earth. The new earth is when God takes the present heaven and the current earth and he fuses them together and it becomes the new earth or the future heaven, which is what God's plan was all along. John chapter 14, verse 23, Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My father will love them. And, we'll, and we will come and make our home with each of them. The Bible says we will come. Where are they coming from? The present heaven. God, Jesus says my father and I will come and we will make our home with them. Genesis 2-7 talks, uh, talks about this current earth that we live in, the present state that we're in. It is, was, was, excuse me. It talks about this earth and how we were formed from the earth. God formed us from the earth. He made us out of the dust of the ground. So we were made from the earth, and so we were made 
for the earth. God doesn't plan to take us some faraway place that we don't understand, that we can't imagine, that we can't have any type of sense or appetite for. The Bible over and over and over talks about the new earth. The Bible doesn't say we're going to a non-earth. It says we're going to the new earth. It says we are going to earth. It, it doesn't mean, it doesn't, because the Bible very easily could have used the word place. How many of you understand? If it wasn't earth, the Bible could have said, we're going to a place with God. We're going to another place. But over and over and over in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Bible calls the future home, the future heaven, the new earth. I heard a pastor say the other day, there's nothing in our present experience that can suggest to us what heaven is like. Think about that. There is nothing in our present experience that can suggest to us what heaven is like. I wonder what Bible he's reading. Because that is not biblical at all. Because if the new earth, if the Bible calls the new earth a, a new earth, then what that tells me is that our current earth, where we live today, has to be absolutely bursting with clues about what the new earth is going to be like. And that's why the Bible specifically uses the word earth, because we can hope for what we desire, and we can desire for what we imagine, and we can imagine the earth where we live. It's like if you read uh, the Chronicles of Narnia in the third chapter, of the, or the third book of the Chronicles of Narnia at the very end. They came into the new world, and, and the kids were saying, look, I recognize this feature, and I recognize that mountain, and I recognize that stream. It looks just like the old world. I recognize it, but it's different. It looks like the old world, but it's different. It's more colorful. It's more beautiful. It's more magnificent. So the earth we live in gives us clues to what the future new earth, the future heaven is going to be look like. Look at Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to look at verse 10 and verse 16 as we begin to talk about what is this new earth going to be like. Hebrews 11 verse 10, Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city. With eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. Abraham was looking forward to a city. Now, why does the Bible use the word city? Because city is a word that we can relate to. City is a word that we can understand. We have a frame of reference for the word city. See, the Bible is not describing heaven with words that we can't relate to, with words that we can't understand, because the Bible wants to help us have an imagination for our future home. We understand cities. What are cities? Well, cities have buildings. Cities have art. Cities have culture. Cities have music. Cities have athletics. Cities have goods and service. They have events of all kinds. In cities, you have people that are engaged in activities, they're engaged in gatherings, conversations, and work. We understand those things. That's what Abraham was longing for, that heavenly city. So we know in the new earth, there's going to be cities. There's going to be nations. There's going to be cultures. Verse 16, but they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Let me ask. If we can't imagine our present earth, if we can't imagine the planet that we live on today without rivers, without mountains, without trees, without flowers, then why, on, why, why in the world would you try to imagine the new earth without those features? See, to me, God doesn't promise us a new earth. He promises us a, us a new earth, and all throughout Revelations 21 and 22, he describes it. 
But the problem with the earth today, as we know it, the reason it's so hard for us to figure out, besides all of Plato's philosophy in the church about, you know, spiritual things being good and physical things being bad, and so all of a sudden, we have this concept that if it's of the earth, if it's physical, it must be bad in nature, but physical was created by God. The earth was created by God, and God called it good. So the earth as God created is good. The problem is, in Genesis chapter 3, we find out the earth becomes damaged by sin. And so the earth that we now live in, the world that we now share together, has been cursed and damaged by sin. But our hope is that one day God is going to renew all things. God is going to restore all things. Albert Walters, another theologian, said it is quite striking that virtually all of the basic words describing salvation in the Bible imply a return to an originally good state or situation. Redemption is a good example. To redeem is to buy free or literally to buy back. Think about this. If God was just going to take us somewhere else, why wouldn't he just destroy the earth? But instead, the Bible says he's going to renew the earth. He's going to restore the earth. He's going to reconcile the earth. He doesn't just redeem or restore mankind, the Bible says. He redeems all of creation, the entire planet, all of earth, all of the animals, all of the planet, all of the mountains, all of the oceans are going to be redeemed by God. God called his creation good. So let me ask, if God called the earth good, why would he abandon it? Why would God abandon it? Ephesians 3 and verse 10 says, and this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ. Everything in heaven and on earth. Just look at the vocabulary of the Bible. It makes so much sense if you just look at the vocabulary. Redemption, renewal, restore, regenerate, resurrect reconcile over and over and over again. God calls about renewing and redeeming and restoring. You know what the problem for most of us is? Is we have a weak theology about God. We have a weak theology about God. Most of us view God as a failed inventor. God created this world, but he's a failed inventor because we were flawed and we sinned and we messed up everything for him. And so now this failed inventor is just going to trash it all, and his consolation prize is he's going to rescue a couple of us out to some far-off galaxy in the universe somewhere. That doesn't make sense about God. It doesn't make it sense at all, because God is not going to surrender our world to a universe trash heap. Peter preached in Acts 3 and verse 21. Peter said, for he, Jesus, must remain in heaven until the time for the final restoration of all things. He didn't say the restoration of mankind. He didn't say the restoration of the human soul. He said the restoration of all things as God promised long ago through his holy prophets. See, it's not just talking about our human spirit. It's not just talking about our soul that he's going to rescue, that he's going to restore. It talks about all things. Isaiah 65 and verse 17. Look, I am creating new heavens and a new earth. 2 Peter 3, verse 13. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and new earth as he has promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. Revelations 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. See, it's a new heaven. It's a new earth. It brings us back to the original state of God's plan, that Garden of Eden-like state, not in a state of innocence anymore. 
See, when God created the Garden of Eden, it was perfect, but it was perfect because of innocence. When God restores all things into the new earth, the future heaven, it will also be perfect, but it will be perfect because of righteousness. See, there's a difference. The Garden of Eden was perfect out of innocence. The future heaven or the new earth will be perfect out of righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. So let's talk about some of the things that moms have asked me over the last couple weeks about heaven. Let's talk a little bit about some of the questions we have about heaven. Number one, will we know our family in heaven? Will we have relationships with our family members in heaven. Those of you that children, you're going to want to know, are you going to know your child? Are you going to be able to recognize them? Are they going to recognize you? Are you going to know your brothers and sisters in heaven? Are you going to know your aunts and uncles and, and, and your relatives in heaven? And I think we get a clear picture of it. And it's not exactly what we think it's going to be, but I believe we're going to like the answer. Luke chapter 8, and verse 21. Jesus replied, my mother and my brothers, my family he's talking about, are all those who hear God's word and obey it. Now again in Mark 10, verse 29 and 30. Yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who's given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property. Now, I believe, now, again, as I said last week, there are certain areas that we can be definitive about, about the new earth and the new heaven. There are other areas that we have to make an educated assumption based on Scripture. I do believe our blood family who is in heaven, your mother, your brothers, sisters, children, when you get to heaven, I truly believe they will still be your family. I believe you'll recognize them. I'll believe you'll know who they are. The reason I believe you'll recognize people in heaven is because when the transfiguration had with Jesus, with Moses and Elijah, Peter recognized them in their resurrected state. So obviously there were some features about them that made them recognizable. So I believe we will be recognizable in heaven. People will know who we are in heaven. Now we'll have resurrected bodies, but people will know who we are. And the second reason I believe we're going to know our, our family in heaven is because we're not going to have a memory wipe. See, a lot of people think when you get to heaven, you're going to get a memory wipe, that all of a sudden life on earth is going to be completely wiped out. You're not going to remember anything. You're going to be in this brand new state and this brand new person with a brand new memory, and, and you're going to start over. Not the case. We are going to have actually glorified and resurrected memories in heaven because the Bible said, like we talked about last week, we will stand and give an account. There's the judgment of works as believers. It's not a judgment that gets you into heaven, but it's a judgment that determines your rewards and your authority in heaven. You know, I said last week, your goal as a human being, number one, is to get saved. That's your number one goal as a human being. Get saved. Get born again. Become a Christian. Accept the free gift of God through the salvation and grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. It is by faith and by faith alone. After you get saved, God places you on the race course of life, as Paul talks about, and you run for eternal prizes. You discipline yourself. You work hard as a believer, and you run for eternal prizes. So you will stand and give an account for your life on earth. So you're not gonna, God's not going to give you a memory wipe. You are going to have your memory in heaven. You're going to be able to remember at least aspects of life on earth. We know that. So if you are able to distinguish people in heaven and you're able to have a memory in heaven, then I see it completely logical that you will know your family in heaven. You will probably have relationship with them, be close to them, and they'll probably be great companions. But 
What Jesus is saying in Mark 10 and Luke 8, that they will not be your only family in heaven. He's saying that your family in heaven is going to be much larger than your blood family on earth. And they will all be family. You'll have the same closeness, the same relationship. It'll be harmonious because all of us believers together, when we get to heaven, we all become part of Christ's family. We are adopted into Christ's family, which means we will all be brothers and sisters. And we will live in our harmonious state. Because I know some of you have wonderful families and you look forward to being with your family in heaven. Some of you, unfortunately, don't know your family or don't have good families. And, you know, some of you don't even, you know, you pray that they'll get to heaven because you don't want to see them in the other place, but you're praying to God that they live in another suburb of heaven than you live in. And that's the reality. You know, let's be honest. I mean, we, we all have those family members. You know, we don't want them to, to perish, but, you know, we don't want them living in our neighborhood in heaven. And so, but the thing you need to understand is in heaven, everyone is going to be harmonious. The relationships are going to be pure. You're not going to have the curse of sin on your relationship. So families in heaven are not going to cause you the same pain that families on earth cause you. For those of you that had families that caused pain. It's going to be a completely harmonious place in heaven. And it's quite possible that your best friend for all of eternity you haven't even met yet. It's quite possible that you're going to meet somebody in heaven and two of you are going to become close companions and best friends and probably spend all eternity exploring the new earth together. You don't know who you're, you know, we may have your best friend. I, I pray to God that I love my wife and I hope she's my best friend in heaven and I plan on us hanging out for all of eternity. If uh, she's looking at me like she doesn't know if she can handle me for all of eternity. <laughs> Not in this under the curse state, babe, but in my resurrected form. My resurrected form, I'm muscular, I can surf, I can play soccer. It's going to be a great resurrected body. (laughs) Second question, will we be married in heaven? Will we be married? Matthew 22, verse 30. For when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. In this respect, they will be like the angels in heaven. Now, there's two interpretations that people have today. Some people interpret that to mean there will not be new marriages in heaven. That if you are married on earth, it's quite possible you can carry that marriage on into heaven. The problem is the curse of sin. The problem is because of the curse of sin on earth, there's people who have uh, lost loved ones before their time or, and, and remarried. There are people who've gone through divorce and have remarried. So we don't exactly know exactly how that's going to take place. But look at this with me. Ephesians 5, verse 31 and 32. As the scriptures say... A man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Will we be married in heaven? I honestly don't know if you'll continue your marriage. I do believe that your companion on earth, your mate on earth, your spouse on earth, quite possibly can be your best friend and your closest companion in heaven. I don't doubt that for a second. Will we necessarily be married to each other? We don't fully know. You could go either way you want to go on it, but the flip side of it is, yes, we will be married in heaven, but not marriage as you think about it. We may not be married to each other per se, but we will be in the same marriage to Christ, the Bible says, because Christ will marry his bridegroom. Who is the bridegroom? All of us believers. 
So we may not necessarily be married to one another in heaven, but we will all be a part of the same marriage to Christ and in so be completely fulfilled in our relationship with Christ. Those deepest levels of intimacy that marriage can create between two people, you're going to have that completely fulfilled in your relationship with Christ, and you're going to be able to share that with your loved ones, share that with your companions, share that. So The way you should think about it is those of you that have been married for a long time and completely in love and worried about whether or not you get to heaven, think about it. You and your husband or you and your wife are going to be able to be in the same marriage with Christ for all of eternity, sharing that together, that level of intimacy with him that helps connect you in the closest form of companionship that you can't even imagine here on earth. It's going to be a beautiful, beautiful place. So will we be married to one another? The answer is we don't fully know. The Bible seems to lean that we won't, but we will be married in heaven, just not as we know it on earth. Because the Bible says marriage on earth is an illustration of what marriage on heaven will be like. But in heaven, it will be between Christ and the church. You know, and and the other assumption is that marriage was part of God's original design. God gave marriage before the curse of sin. You know, God gave man and woman together before the curse of sin ever happened. So if God's going to restore all things, then we know marriage is going to be a part of heaven. just may not be the way we see it or the way we see it designed. Third question that some of the women have asked me, will we have sex in heaven? I know everyone's excited about the answer to this question. I don't know if it's the answer you necessarily want, but... There, there's a, again, there's a couple ways to look at it. The Bible's not definitive on this. There's actually no scripture on it in the Bible. So we basically have to look at what scripture says, what scripture teaches, how sex is designed, what sex is for, and then begin to ask ourselves how that fits into heaven. Well, we understand one thing. Sex was given to us before the curse. Before the curse of sin, there was sex. There was that intimacy between Adam and Eve. That was before the curse of sin. So again, we would assume that when God restores all things and renews all things, that that level of intimacy will be part of the restoration of all things. But since sex was a part of marriage, it was between one man and one woman. Since in heaven, we're not going to be married or given in marriage. It's a different type of a marriage, a marriage to Christ. A lot of theologians tend to believe sex as we know it on earth will not be a part of heaven. And I know that's a huge letdown for many of you. But don't be too, don't be too let down or too worried about it because the level of intimacy that you experience through, uh, through sex, that level of closeness, that, that emotional bond that connects you through that relationship will be available in heaven. We will be completely harmonious with our friends and loved ones. We will have that that level of intimacy completely met and fulfilled through our relationship with Christ in the marriage we have with Christ, not in the marriage as a man and woman on earth, but in the marriage of a Savior and his people in heaven. Will we eat in heaven? This is probably my favorite question. I've been asked that by a number of people. I know uh, my wife's interested because she watches every cooking show you can imagine on TV, the cake boss, the cake competition. You know, I think, you know, talking to my wife, I think heaven is just going to be full of cakes, the most beautiful cakes you've ever seen in your life. But let's look at will we eat in heaven? Let me tell you a story about Jesus after Jesus was in his resurrected form, his resurrected body. Uh, Quickly, John chapter 21 verse 12 and 13. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them bread and the fish 
And the Bible says they ate breakfast together. Jesus in his resurrected form, Jesus in his resurrected body came back on earth. And and though he looked different, there were still parts of Jesus that they could recognize in his resurrected form. He still had the scars, the physical scars in his resurrected body. And we see a story of Jesus having breakfast with the disciples. So what that tells me is that physically it is absolutely possible for us to eat in our resurrected form. If Jesus was able to have breakfast with the disciples in his resurrected form, that tells me that we in heaven are going to be able to eat in our resurrected form, and I am excited about that. Luke chapter 22, verse 29 and 30. Can you imagine eating and not gaining weight? That is going to having resurrected bodies that can just burn calories right off. It just completely dissolves. You can feed. It's going to be wonderful in heaven. Luke 22, 29 and 30. And just as my father has granted me a kingdom, I now grant you a right to eat and drink at my table in the kingdom. So obviously we're going to be eating and drinking with Christ. Revelations 2, 7. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. So we're going to be eating fruit, Matthew 8, verse 11. And I tell you this, that many Gentiles will come from all over the world, from the east and west, and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. Isaiah 25 and verse 6, in Jerusalem, the Lord of heaven's armies will spread a wonderful feast for all the people of the world. It is quite possible that today you have not tasted your favorite food. Whatever you think your favorite food is on earth, can you imagine what that food is going to taste like in a resurrected body with resurrected taste buds, with resurrected uh, 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 plants and vegetation? I mean, you may not even know or imagine what food is going to taste like until you get to heaven. So you may think you know what your favorite food is, but just wait. So those of you that love food, that love the culinary word, that love taste, I, I just imagine Steve Gaspari is going to be up there in his resurrected form, creating new products for us, new foods. It's just going to be absolutely amazing in heaven. Now, someone else asked me, Will there be arts and entertainment in heaven? And, and along that line, for the guys, let me throw in at least one thing for you. Will there be sports in heaven? You know, will there be arts, entertainment, and sport? Well, again, you have to understand that being worldly is different than being earthly. See, being worldly says that they're of the flesh, they're of sin. Being earthly is just mean you're part of the physical earth. God created the earth, and he created it as good. The Bible talks about heaven is going to have cultures. It's going to have cities. It's going to have nations. It's going to have rulers of the world coming to the new Jerusalem to offer glory and prizes and presents to the king of kings and the lord of lords. Why would it say lord of lords and king of kings if there wasn't going to be kings and lords around the world? See, that's why Jesus says, to some I give you rule over 10 cities, to some 20 cities. Why? Because... Heaven is going to be made of nations, of nationalities, of different ethnicities, of all of these different things. So if that's going to be heaven with cities and cultures and nations and ethnicities, then if God restores or redeems all things, there's no reason to believe why there's not going to be art and entertainment and sports as part of the new earth. There's no reason at all to believe that. The Bible talks about music being in heaven. Well, if music is in heaven as part of art and part of culture and part of entertainment, then so much more is it, it, I can just imagine heaven being this absolutely incredible place. And for those of you that love the oceans, that love to go out and kayak and surf, a lot of people are worried because in Revelations 21.1, it says there'll be no more sea. But you need to understand, the word sea and the word ocean in the Bible 
Are you guys saying that I need to hurry? We got two points left. We're going to go through those last two points really quick. I guess they're saying hurry up. I know, I know I'm out of time, but there's so much. In, it's Mother's Day. We celebrated a little bit. Let me get through the last two points quickly for you. For those of you that love the ocean, the seas and the ocean are different words in the Bible. The sea in biblical terms meant the evil spirit of the sea because families lost loved ones at sea. There were storms at the sea. People drowned at the sea. Family would, would, would leave on the sea and they would never return. So the sea had an evil connotation in the Bible times. It was not the same word they used for oceans, but look at this. This is great. Ezekiel 47 Verse 8 9, it's talking about the river that flows down the, the center street in the New Jerusalem that comes from, the, from, from literally the temple of the New Jerusalem. It says, Then he said to me, The river flows east through the desert into the valley of the Dead Sea. The waters of this stream will make the salty waters of the Dead Sea fresh and pure. There will be swarms of living things wherever this water flows. Fish will abound in the Dead Sea, for its waters will become fresh. Life will flourish wherever this water flows. See, what's going to happen is the river from the New Jerusalem, once it intersects the oceans, as it begins to redeem and restore the earth, it talks about vegetation, new vegetation. It talks about the animals of the sea coming to life. It talks about there'll be no more salt water, but the oceans will become. Imagine surfing a freshwater ocean with sharks that swim along you because the Bible says animals, human, mankind and animals become friends and live in harmony on the new earth just like it was created in the Garden of Eden. So imagine sharks swimming with you while you're surfing just like the dolphins do. And that brings me into my next point that we'll get through quickly. Will there be animals in heaven? I know there's a lot of people wondering about their pet, wondering about their dog. Now, we all know biblically cats will not make it to heaven, so I'm sorry. (laughs) That's uh, the Aaron Jane interpretation of the Bible. But every other animal will be in heaven. Isaiah 11, 6 through 8. In that day, the wolf and the lamb will lie down together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion. The little child will lead them all. The cow will graze near the bear. The cub and the calf lie down together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. The baby will play safely near the hole of the cobra. Yes, a little child will put its hand in a nest of deadly snakes without harm. The Bible portrays animals as the second most important creature on earth next to man. The Bible gives man and animals a special relationship back in the Garden of Eden. God entrusts animals to us. Proverbs 12, verse 10, the godly care for the animals, but the wicked are always cruel. So let's ask, what about our pets? Well, Romans chapter 8, verse 18, I don't think any of you ever realized that Romans 8 talks about your pets. But Romans 8, 18 through 21, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are against its will. All creation was subjected to God's curse, but with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. Creation eagerly waits for the day. It will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. Will you have your pets in heaven? The Bible doesn't definitively say, but the Bible doesn't say you won't. It's very likely, based on what Scripture says, that your, your animals that will compa- be companions on earth in the renewed state, in the resurrected state, in the new earth, it's very likely. There's no reason why they can't be companions with you in heaven. I'm not guaranteeing it. Don't get mad at me and come knocking on my door in heaven if Fido's not there. 
But again, when all creation is renewed to God's children, there's no reason why the Bible says it can't happen. There's no reason why God wouldn't allow your best friend and companion, if it was an animal on earth, to be a companion of you in heaven with all your other human companions that will be in the resurrected state on the resurrected earth. I will save the seventh point for next week. But I hope through this series you're getting an appetite for heaven, that you're getting a desire. You're beginning to hunger and long for how incredible, how wonderful, how terrific, how amazing our future home and eternal home will be like. To be with Christ, that's, that's going to be the greatest thing of all, to be able to look upon Christ, to, to have open access to him anytime you want it, to live in harmony with all of our brothers and sisters. But again, as I said Uh, a couple weeks ago, you have to understand heaven is not your default location. I want want to make it very clear to you today because it's very easy to hear a sermon like this and get encouraged and think heaven's going to be wonderful. You have to understand God is not going to force you to go to heaven. Did you hear me? God will not kidnap you against your will and make you live your eternity in heaven. Heaven is not your default location. Heaven is your choice based on your faith and the grace of God. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. You can't be good enough to get it. If you want your name written in the book of life, which is your reservation into the new earth, into the resurrected earth, you have to understand, you have to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The Bible clearly says there is no way to the Father except through Jesus Christ, his Son. So God's not going to kidnap you and make you live with him in heaven. It's your choice. You either accept Jesus or do you deny Jesus, but it's your choice. Bow your heads and close your eyes with me. As we close today with nobody looking around, if there's anyone here that needs to know beyond a shadow of a doubt whether or not your name is in the book of life, you want to you know 100% completely sure this morning where you're going to spend your eternal home. You're not sure right now. I'm going to give you an opportunity to accept the beautiful gift of Jesus Christ. To accept him as your Lord and Savior. As the Bible says, no one goes to the Father except through Jesus Christ the Son. He is not going to force himself on you. He's not going to impose his will on your will. God has given you free will. It is your choice. God will not force you to spend your eternity with him in heaven. God allows you the opportunity to make that choice yourself. So if there's anyone here that has never made that choice or you're not sure anymore or or you just, you have doubts and you want to know today that you are right with God with every eye closed and no one looking around, would you just slip up your hand quickly so that I can say a prayer for you? Thank you, thank you, thank you. All over the room, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All over the room. And this is what I like to do as we close. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, you shall be saved. That's how you receive it. You don't work for it. You don't earn it. You can't be good enough to get it. You simply receive it. When you raised your hand, you signified to me that you believe Jesus Christ or you wouldn't have raised your hand. You believe he was the son of God. You believe he was the savior of the world. You believe he was died. He was risen from the dead. And now I want to lead you in a simple prayer. And if you say this prayer, the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that he is Lord and you believe in your heart, you will be saved, period, period. So as you say this prayer out loud this morning, 
the angels in heaven are throwing a party. They're opening up the book of life and they're writing your name down so that the day you stand before God, they will open up that book, find your name and you will have your eternal home secure. So church, pray this prayer after me to encourage those that raise their hands. Say, dear God, I need you. I receive the gift of Jesus this morning. As my Savior and Lord, forgive me. Thank you for saving me and giving me an eternal home in heaven, the new earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, church, we love you. We want you to have the greatest Mother's Day you've ever had. Moms, you're awesome. Women, you are amazing, mighty women of God, and we love you and appreciate you. Have a wonderful, wonderful day.